Hello, hello, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by the not-so-usual suspects. Uh, we have got our friend from afar, uh, Matthew Taylor. How you doing, Matt? I'm groovy. Good to see you again, sir. Excellent. Uh, I don't actually believe they use groovy uh, in England, do they? I do. Yeah, that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> you will be reported. And uh, we also have from uh, a land where groovy is often used, though he has probably never said the word, Chase Tyler. Chase, how you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. Thank you. And no, I'm You're very mellow, groovy. I understand, this morning. Um, uh, yes, I tend to be. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I tend to be. <laughs> I've, I've seen you on the podcast. You're not always mellow, my friend. Um, <laughs> so uh, we've, got a, we've got a very mellow Chase this morning. We'll see what happens. Uh, we don't often have uh, Chase and Matt on the same show. We've got a, a couple of lurkers in the uh, chat room today. That uh, number may or may not grow. Uh, but we <clears throat> might uh, acknowledge some of the comments that are in the chat. But what we usually do... Uh, during the show is when someone says something interesting in the chat room, we just say it ourselves as if we thought of it and uh, we don't give attribution. So um, that's probably what will happen. If, uh, if uh, the conversation sounds a little bit more intelligent today than it usually does, it's probably the chat. But um, that said, uh, yesterday, if you have not heard yesterday's show, uh, and from your perspective, I, it may not be yesterday, maybe last week. If you not, have not heard last year's show, I don't know when you're listening <laughs> to this. Um, we talked about war and, uh, and self-defense. So we're in a series on killing, a time to kill. And we're looking at the various phases of killing. Uh, we started with uh, a very high-level discussion between um, myself and David Russell. Uh, that was a pretty good conversation. We followed uh, with the show on abortion. Uh, we had a very lively panel uh, featuring Teddy the Bear. That was a terrible show. It was a train work wreck. It was a dumpster fire, uh, a nightmare hell stew of a show. You should also listen to that too. Um, it was also the show that you should expect. It's a very emotional show, and it's hard to talk about abortion without having that kind of show. So we did it. Uh, I've stamped my merit badge. We're done. Uh, we'll probably revisit it next year. Um, yesterday, we uh, discussed war and self-defense. That was one of the best uh, shows in the history of Skeptics and Seekers. So uh, good job, gang, to that. We had uh, a guest, uh, Christian guest, Travis. It was his first time on Skeptics and Seekers. He did a fine job uh, in that conversation. And we're going to have him if everything goes right we're going to have him later on in this discussion but he wasn't able to make the panel uh but i'm going to ring him up after this show uh and do a separate interview with him and tack it on to the end of the show now if this interview is not on the end of the show something went badly wrong but that's the plan uh right now today's show is uh exclusively on the death penalty and just so you know next week's show uh, will be the last topic show that will be combining euthanasia and suicide. Uh, I look forward to a very interesting, lively, um, and possibly heartbreaking show. It's a, it's a very tough subject to talk about, but we're going to close the series uh, after that with uh, Brian with a Y and myself in our usual finale at the end of these um, 
at the end of these uh, marathons. And at the end of the podcast, if I uh, remember, I will tell you what will be coming up after this series. But we're rambling quickly toward the end of the series, uh, at the end of the season. And so we've got a few things to finish off the season with a bang. If you think this season, uh, this series has been good, just wait till you see what's coming next. Uh, so with that, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Uh, log in, click on the show that says A Time to Kill, scroll down, log in with your Discuss account, and discuss away. The comments are always lively and fun. You can take me to task uh, in that forum, or if you would like, you can send me an email at skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. On with the show. Yeah. Um, the death penalty. I've, I'm sorry, this is such bad timing. I've, I've got Siri going off in my ear. And um, it's, it's really screwing with my um, ability to concentrate. Uh, hello, new guest in the chat room, by the way. Um, I am so glad to see you uh, today. Hope all is well with you. Uh, the death penalty, capital punishment. I have a I have an opening statement. I've been I've been questioning whether I should even make this opening statement or not, but I think I will go ahead and start uh, the discussion by laying out part of my thoughts here, and we'll we'll unfold them as the discussion comes along. But the most interesting part of this discussion is probably not my thoughts on the subject. I suspect that we're all going to have very different opinions. I mean, there are only two opinions that you could have about the death penalty, if you're for it or against it. But there are a whole host of reasons how you come to that conclusion. And so I will uh, say up front that my uh, opinions on this subject are sometimes confusing and conflicted but I will try to bring some sanity to it over the course of this show. And so I will begin by saying that I am in favor of the death penalty. Uh, I, I promote the idea of capital punishment, and I do it with the same heavy heart as I do with war and as I do with abortion. I think it's a terrible thing, and I hate it. And I hate defending it at any level. But I don't think that I have a choice if I'm going to be intellectually honest and consistent. So I also would say that my defense of the death penalty is limited. And over the course of the discussion, I plan to talk about why the death penalty is a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> and why we shouldn't do it. So uh, it will be interesting. Try to keep up. Um, so let me let me begin with where I used to be on the death penalty. I, I've always been in favor of it, but I've been a Christian for most of my life. So as a Christian, my reasons for supporting the death penalty were as simple as you could possibly get. The God of the Bible was in favor of the death penalty. And it seemed inconsistent and incoherent to say that God is opposed to the death penalty. 
why would anyone say that who has read the Bible? The God of the Bible could not possibly be opposed to the death penalty. And in fact, if you look at the things that uh, he applied the death penalty to, it's things that we wouldn't even consider applying the death penalty to today. Being gay uh, would get you dead. Now, that used to be the case uh, in several countries, but I think that we've mostly stamped that out in countries that anyone would want to live in. Um, adultery, run-of-the-mill garden variety adultery was a death penalty offense. Of course, my favorite, and I say that um, kind of tongue-in-cheek, my favorite would be the um, the child or the wife or the friend who comes to you and tries to persuade you to worship other gods besides Yahweh. That got the death penalty. And in fact, it got a death penalty so bad, you were to not feel any sympathy for you for them. You were not to hear them out. And you would be the first hand as you gather together a death mob to kill your kid or wife or best friend. Yours would be the first hand raised against them with a stone. So you can't possibly look at the way God punished and taught his people to punish and say this God is against the death penalty. But what happened? Well, I'm not a Christian anymore. And I don't defend any thought processes of that God. So surely I will have changed my mind about the death penalty. Well, I've changed my mind about the reasons for why I'm in favor of it, but unfortunately not for the practice itself. And the reason is very humanistic. I think that our system of justice is terrible. And I hope that we get a chance to talk about what justice means and what it is today. I think it's terrible. Uh, and when we talk about the death penalty, we're usually talking about something that is as opposed to life in prison without parole. And those are kind of the two options set before you. You can have either the death penalty or life in prison without parole. But I contend that life in prison without parole is not life at all. It's actually the death penalty. It's just a slower, more torturous death. And it's a misnomer. There is nothing about prison that evokes life. Life is what you have when you're not in prison. Life, the things that uh, you do, where you exercise your choices and your autonomy, that is stripped away from you when you go to prison. It is not life as we know life. It is death. It is death by torture. It is death by the systematic stripping away of humanity. Prison is an inhumanity machine. It is a dehumanizing institution. And I would argue that its sole purpose is to punish by dehumanizing you. So that by the time you have been there for a while, you really are an animal in a cage. If you weren't when they brought you there, you will be after a while. And so life, excuse me, death in prison 
without parole is a death penalty. And if that's the only two choices that we're given, torturous, lingering death in prison without parole, or a quick death, I'll take the bullet every time because it's the better choice. And so in that way, in that way alone, uh, I support the death penalty as an option to that. I, ha- I will have more to say about that, but I will, um, I will spare uh, I'll spare some of that for the show. And uh, I'm going to move to um, Matt. Um, I don't know if you have something prepared to say or not, but if you want to speak generally about your position and let us know where you'll be coming from today, feel free to do that now. I'm very, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Uh, I'm very different uh, to you. I'm anti the death penalty. Uh, years ago, in a conversation at work, somebody asked me outright, you know, when could I agree with the death penalty and when? And the answer I gave then was in extreme circumstances, yes. And I'm pretty much the same now. In an extreme circumstance, yes, I can accept the death penalty. How that extreme circumstance gets defined, it will probably get very messy because I don't know how I would define that extreme circumstance. So I'm probably far more anti the death penalty than you are. Um, because my view on it is, as soon as you've decided that the appropriate punishment for somebody is to kill them, you have given up on any opportunity of rehabilitation. You have decided that it is not worth your effort to put to rehabilitate somebody. You've decided that you are not capable of rehabilitating that person. You have given up. It is the coward's way out because you are not prepared to put in any effort at all for rehabilitation or to rectify the circumstances which cause that person to be given death penalty. It is a failure and it is a failure of the living to kill somebody. So that's my view on the death penalty. And I want to push back on your thing about uh, prison as well. Prison, proper prison, prison where you actually make an effort to rehabilitate people, you improve their education, you give them counselling over what it was that you do absolutely everything you can to change their circumstances so that at the end of that prison term, what you've got is somebody who is better suited to a productive society. And if prison is not doing that, and prison is just a, a segregation and a torturous place, then yes, maybe death is the better option, but prison should not be like that. Prison should be a better place, but this is not a show about prison, this is a show about the death penalty. And in a place, in a world where we have the ability and the capability of rehabilitating people, of turning people around, of making people into better people than they are, so that society does not need to fear them, then anything that ends in death is a failure of our society and we should be ashamed of it. Okay. Um, you think that we disagree, but uh, you just are previewing <laughs> some, of, some of my arguments to come. Uh, Chase? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What you got, Chase? Um, so as far as myself, um, I also am against the death penalty. Um, as far as I understand, there's no, or as far as I believe, there's no, there's no reason, there's no reason to, there's no reason to institute it ever. Um, so even for Matt, for Matthew's point of an extreme situation, I don't know any extreme situation that also equates the loss of or the taking of one's life, especially if we, as as most societies agree that. The taking of life is wrong period um or killing a man or killing a person is just wrong 
Um, and of course, that's like a larger discussion. I think we've had it before. Um, but as far as uh, as far as anything else, the death penalty is yes, pretty much just a conclusion we've come to because we can't think of anything else, and someone shouldn't be subject to our ignorance to solving a problem. Um, that person has had a, has a problem, and it's just our jobs to solve it. And death is just saying, "I'm done trying to solve it." There's no, there's nothing further to do. Okay, um, so that's that's a good starting point. I'm gonna I'm gonna break tradition. Oh, who gives a damn about tradition? It's my show. I can do what I want to. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, allow anyone in the chat uh, if they would like to raise their hand. Um, you can raise your hand by just turning on your mic and um, giving a brief statement about your opinion. Also in the chat room, if you don't want to uh, make a statement, I would like you to at least answer the question yes or no so that I can just see that clearly by your name and poll death penalty, yes or no. And so, while we're waiting for any of those, here in the UK, obviously the death penalty has has just not happened for goodness knows how many years decades uh, i think it is i think the 60s was the last time we killed anybody in the uk might be earlier than that and there's just no indication of the death penalty coming on i don't think any government for decades here in the uk has been prepared to even consider bringing back the death penalty and i think we're a better country for it okay we've, we've got, got some no's in the chat yes but we have at least one yes Yes, <laughs> we have we have a maybe. It yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a it's a it's a situational yes. Yeah, well, okay. So let me let me just comment uh, to you, uh, Matthew, in particular. Um, I, I want to say first of all that I don't consider you a no, and I know that you you consider you a no. But if you have an exception, uh, the extreme circumstance exception, then you're a yes. Because the death penalty itself is an extreme measure for extreme circumstances. So you can, uh, your your debate becomes when, when is, what are the circumstances that would require it? Yeah, good luck uh, finding that, that. Right. But I think that Chase's position is far more consistent because it's just no ever. There, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think there, I mean, just because our emotions say that, say that um, said situation is the right one. Uh, that's you're just saying that out of emotion it doesn't mean that that person i mean ultimately a person commits commits a crime or does something wrong for a reason and that reason usually can be solved and that's that's how i feel about anything anything that's been done so to speak uh so if you're saying well just kill them um what are you trying to solve other than uh now uh, now soothing your emotions in that moment and right even so, extreme situation right so here's the here's the problem out. though uh, and it's it's. Uh, I also wanted to address uh, Matt with this one too, and you also, Chase, because mm -hmm. Chase, in your case, uh, you just have a Pollyanna view of the justice system, um, because the justice system you describe just doesn't exist. And Matt, you might actually live in a country with that justice system, and the rest of us just don't know it. Uh, so I can't accuse you of having a Pollyanna view of the justice system. You will have to inform me, but I can tell you what I know of our justice system in this country. It's hell. In fact, it's designed to be hell. 
it's not designed to do anything good for anyone. And even if you bring in some out of date library books in there um, and let let people get their GED online, it's it's not a system that's actually set up to do anyone any good. Um, also, the thing that is pitted against uh, the death penalty is death in prison um, without parole. That's that's the other choice. And so it's you say, well, if we if we kill them, then we've given up on them. But the moment you say that a person has to live the rest of their existence in prison and there is no legal hope for parole, you've also given up on them. And so it's not not, why is there not why is there not a conversation of our job? I mean, because I don't think that I think I literally think the conversation of the death penalty is literally the conversation of our justice system, of any justice system, for that matter, if if there if our other solutions, the other options are just as bad as the death penalty, then we also need to be talking about the other option because if we're, we're just talking about two death penalties then. No, I, that's right. Well, and I agree with you. So, I mean, <laughs> so you talking I, about, I mean, the other, basically, why, 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 I mean, to me, it'd be sounding like we're too lazy to now change the other half. And like, I don't think that that's So we're going to, we're going to talk about that and we're going to fix the system before the show is over. But right now, <laughs> But right now we have to deal with we have to deal with the system that we have for the moment. And the system that we have, the choice, but when it, whenever the death penalty comes up, it's not 20 years in prison or the death penalty. It's life in prison without parole or the death penalty. So it's death either way. Uh, and and if you say, well, but if you kill them, society's given up on them, they've given up on them anyway. They're not coming out. It's without parole. And so in that case, what you're saying is you can own this person basically for the rest of their natural life. uh, And they have no say in what happens to them. They are your your uh, sadistic slave, uh, essentially. And nothing good can come out of that system because you're not rehabilitating. Why why are you going to rehabilitate someone who is never going to reenter the population? Well, you're right. I guess I I couldn't give you a solid answer because I just don't believe that we can never talk. Like essentially, just just saying that that that's it is saying that there's there is no conversation to be had. On I, the other I agree with I agree with you. It's hard for me to just. I, guess I, I agree that with I, you. I, I wouldn't hold in that even in that situation. I but would just, this I would is just the be, system we have, not the system right. that we wish we had. And even that even that system we have, like, just to say that like these are the two, we're we're still just ignoring it. Like we're you just I'm saying you really can't ignore it. There's no way around it. Because I, like, I, essentially, if we're saying we're sentencing both persons to death, my opinion is like, no, we shouldn't be sentencing a person to death. When we shouldn't be, essentially, my opinion, we shouldn't be giving up on people. And like that's essentially what you're saying is like, well, should you give up on people and give or give up on people? No, just right. No. Well, those and those are the only two options that are usually posed with the with the death penalty. Matt, do you do you see where I'm coming from, or do I, you? I do. I do absolutely see where you're coming from, and I'm tempted to agree. I'm I'm there's something that's blocking me from going amen to that and it's because i i have probably a more um what's the word i'm looking for um i have a more glittered look on what prison should be and prison should be a a situation where yes people are removed from society for the for the protection of society but that should also be a period of time where that person is prepared through whatever means, like I said, re-education, counselling or, or whatever, so that they can be a better person in society. And it may be that actually prison 
our whole attitude towards prison is wrong and that prison is seen as a retributive punishment rather than a progressive punishment. For example, somebody does a crime, this crime warrants however many years in prison, you know, 100, 100 death penalties, whatever it is, 100 life sentences is the sort of thing that's been handed out here in the UK. And that is what you say, that's effectively, you're locked up until you die. But what is life like uh, during that time? And I think that re retributive attitude towards prison sentencing needs to be rethought. That is not the right way to go about prison. And the death penalty has come out of that. It's a retributive uh, <clears throat> punishment. It is a punishment fit the crime kind of thing, which is straight out of the Bible. And I think that at its bottom line is utterly wrong. People, yes, if somebody is a, is, um, is a terrible person and has committed a terrible crime and their mental attitude is such that they need to be separated from the population for everybody's safety, then yes, let's remove them from the population and put them somewhere. But that doesn't mean it's impossible to make them a better person for society. And if they've killed 20 people, should they really be locked up till the end of their life? Can we turn that person around and make them into a better person? And if we can, then we should entertain the conversation that that person could be released back into society, no matter how uncomfortable that might make us. Okay, so you guys are just insisting that I move this conversation forward to the second half. And I haven't <laughs> gotten enough blood out of the first half. Um, I'm so too nice. I'm, uh, I I'm mean, I, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to work with you, but there's there's no way you are not that we working with me. <laughs> you are not. You are. I knew this would happen. Um, so uh, I understand. I understand that you're both of you and and you in the chat. By the way, I see you. I see you. Um. <laughs> by the way, Matt, you're supposed to be keeping up with that. Um. Don't 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 leave those poor chatters uh, hanging out by themselves. They're trying to wreck the show. Um, I really next season I'm going to find a way to let everybody participate in the chat. Everybody, all the listeners, that's going to be fun. Uh, shoot me some ideas about uh, platform people who are technically inclined. I've been thinking about some things there. Here's the thing that I have to nail down before we move to the fantasy portion of the show. The thing that I have to nail down is the hard, unspoken, unspeakable reality of what prison is today, right now, and what the law is today, right now. And so we do not have the luxury right now to think about what we should be doing or what we could be doing differently 20 years, 30 years later, or if we could somehow possibly make everyone see sense. We have to deal with the law right now. None of us are uh, kings, and we cannot just snap our fingers and make laws better. So we have to deal with the now. And the now, the horror of the now, is that prison is a system, a machine that grinds away at one's humanity until it is completely stripped away. It is a dehumanizing machine. That is what it is right now. Now, maybe there are some other countries, and you can tell me, um, Matt, if it's different where you are. But American prison is a place where uh, you get uh, a bad uh, bunk to sleep in, bad medical treatment, 
bad food, uh, daily ass rape. Uh, it's it's uh, beat up uh, continually, uh, and and you are dragged into one uh, gang faction or another, and whatever humanity you went into prison with, it is gone in a relatively short period of time. That's prison. Prison is our best estimation of hell. I remember several years ago, Sheriff Fife, not a TV character, uh, some of you might recall, Sheriff Fife in Arizona, uh, who uh, ran a prison, I think he was a sheriff, uh, and it was extremely hot and, um, you know, no, no air conditioner or anything like that. And Arizona is as close to hell as you get on earth. Um, if you've ever been to Arizona, you know that you'll never go back again willingly, um, especially in the summer. Just don't. Um, this was a this was a feature of the prison. It was it was hellish. Uh, they were proud of their prisons. Uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday on the show, Travis, a very gentle uh, hearted Travis, and I'll give him a chance to speak to this when I talk to him today. Uh, he was saying in defense. Uh, of not having the death penalty, and I let it go because death penalty wasn't the topic yesterday, but he was saying in the defense of life in prison that it's worse than death. And so we should want that punishment. Well, no, actually that we should not want that punishment. Um, but yeah, when I, when I hear Christians say things uh, like they're against the death penalty, it's often because they think that the torture is better. And I agree with you, uh, Matthew, that our whole system of justice, we will get to this in a minute, I promise, does come from a very Christian notion of without blood, there can be no forgiveness. And if you sin, somebody has to pay. And there has to be an eye for an eye. And if you do something bad, something bad must be done to you. It is a retributive idea of justice. I agree with that. But whether we like it or not, that's what we have today. And so when we're comparing the death penalty to uh, not the death penalty, what you're saying is we will either kill the person humanely or we will put them in a torture chamber for the rest of their life. Those are the only two choices you have right now. And you don't get to choose from your fantasy where the world is different. Mm, I would say it's not so much a protest of a fantasy of a world. It's saying that with that decision, I'm now taking on the responsibility of making sure that the world that I'm, I'm now making them wait for, I'm going to make happen. Because essentially, I'm never, I'm never going to win you over, Chase. I can see. <laughs> <laughs> but if there's, but the, but if we're talking about a world in which I know, I mean, I mean, essentially that pretty much is almost is this world in which I have no power to change anything. Um, yeah, I mean, to, I mean, in, in talks of subject, I mean, I believe that a lot of cases, subjecting a person to to obviously suffering is way worse than subjecting them to to death, because so, I mean, like, so, I mean, suffering with no with without. Suffering with intention to kill is way worse than just killing. Or sorry, torturing with intention to kill without um, um, with torturing without intention to kill is way worse than just killing. 
All right, I'm going to consider that a win. Matt, uh, you want to join my side too, or do you want to stay not stubbornly on the wrong side of the issue? <laughs> it's not me who's in the wrong, but there we go. There's a comment in the... <laughs> I, see, I see how this it is going to go. It just, it just sounds like you don't want to get into the discussion of what, what, need, what we really need to do, David. We are, I promise. That is, um, that is a discussion I want to have. I just want to... I just want to... Problem solved. I just want to fully explain to the audience where where my support of the death penalty okay. is and so, i will i will spend the rest of the show unraveling it uh in okay. in taking it down i promise there's a comment in the chat that mentions the victim if the death penalty satisfies the victim and gives the victim some kind of closure or or peace following the crime is that worthwhile having a death penalty no i agree yeah, in fact, I would say that if any part of your quote unquote justice system is to make uh, the survivors feel better uh, about the, the bad thing you did to the perpetrator, your system of justice, your idea of justice is warped. You are no better than a, than a caveman. Uh, but isn't, that and, whole, isn't that part of the whole punishment thing that the victim gets to be appeased because the perpetrator got punished it is but i don't believe in punishment <laughs> so um now you've so, gone off the reservation oh no i started off on the reservation <laughs> off, off the reservation um but we're gonna we're gonna go further off the reservation so i'm gonna i'm going to flip the switch and go where chase wants to go uh so that we can explore this side of it and i think where you want to go uh matt as well and we will pick up with um my idea that punishment is a bad idea but what i am going to do in the meantime it looks like you're not a parent are you you're, uh no but we'll, we'll yeah, there you go you'll, you'll change your mind about punishment andrew uh has a raised hand and i knew that uh he had some things to say so andrew if you want to maybe um cover your thoughts on the first half of this discussion uh, please do so, because the second half is going to go very differently. Well, I think I'll start um, where you just left off. I I don't uh, I I don't think I could find a place in my life where I thought there was no room for punishment of any kind. Um, I, we have pain mechanisms um, that are built into us uh, evolutionarily, right? To to teach us what is wrong now for the christian listeners i'm not uh, i'm not uh, supporting corporal punishment what i am saying is that there are things that happen to us um and there are things that we do uh, as matthew said even with our children uh that are punishment uh it, it is designed not to be retributive but to provide correction so maybe you're about to draw a distinction between <clears throat> the notion of punishment and correction if so, I'd be interested in that. Um, but I'll leave. I will. It here. I will be. Okay. So yeah. I, I thought that you might, yeah. and I will simply say that uh, for myself, uh, I think that that punishment uh, and correction may very well be the same thing from time to time. You could, you could draw a distinction between them. I think that's fine. But uh, I hope to hear that part of the of the conversation and i'll just leave it there 
because I think that was the most interesting thing said so far. Really? It, 30 minutes into the show and you thought the most interesting thing was the last thing? Okay, you, you well, may go well, back I, on I, I, my, memory, that my memory says there's only been three minutes of show so far. So. I see. The, the three-minute theme has come up again. Um, there's some pre-show, but audience, don't worry about it. Just don't. You let your imaginations run wild. Yeah. Is that your coffee with the creamer in it? No creamer. No creamer. I, I love the earth. Been turned. Yeah, no, this is this is black. The way, nothing white is ruining this coffee. <laughs> people, I'm awesome. just repeating things. I don't put the people put words in my mouth and I just say them, okay? Don't blame me for something. Don't blame me for the things put, I say. Did I put the idea into your mind that being white is it, a possible. bad thing. Yeah, I, I don't I don't look. My wife is white and now I don't know how I think about her. Um I feel <laughs> so it's a, is the mic still on? Um, so right, yeah, what back to death saying? penalty. It's much better <laughs> subject. Much better. Safer. Safer. So, yeah, let me go there. Um, I said it. I'm against punishment. But does that mean I'm against correction? No. So obviously we're dealing with something that's maybe semantic in nature. But I think it's slightly more than semantic. It's not just wordplay, but it starts with semantic. Uh, so in the same way that our conversation about prison is a little bit semantic, I believe in institutionalization, but I don't believe in prison. Because prison connotes a, a certain type of idea that is unhealthy. And I think that we should wash it from our mind. Saying death uh, in prison without parole is semantic maybe because i think that life in prison without parole is uh, a misnomer uh and so i think that some of these semantic differences are important and so when uh i say uh correction or instruction uh some of that might look like punishment but it's a change of mindset uh and i i think that's what we have to address next here which is the uh retributive idea of justice. It is the idea that if you do something bad, then what needs to happen to balance the scales, by the way, there are no scales. If you do something bad, there's no way to undo it. Okay, it's been done. Time only moves in one direction. Uh, but the idea is if you if you do something bad, then we're going to do something proportionally bad to you and that will balance things out and that equals justice and uh that is punishment uh if you you know if you eat a cookie before dinner and we have told you not to we are going to get you back for that in some way and make you suffer in some way because you did a bad thing that is what i do not believe in um and so if there is a good reason for a child not to eat a cookie before dinner then you should be working toward that good with good reasons and good motivations you should not be um treating your child like a lab experiment saying well if i give him enough electric shock he won't eat the cookie 
maybe what should happen is you should put the goddamn cookie away in a place where you can't get to it. Um, because what you should care about is your child not eating a cookie before dinner, as opposed to some power play of I'm going to make you obey me. And when you don't, I'm going to zap you with the punishment zapper. And I think that that's what passes for a lot of parenting because I, I hear parents talk like that. Um, so uh, in in terms of punishment in our justice system, I, I, I feel the same thing happening. It's you did something bad, you know, you you sold some drugs to some people. And so now we're going to do something bad for you. We're going to have you dehumanized for, oh, 10 years. And, and so it's not something that's additive to the world. It's not something in, it's intended to improve someone. It's, some, it's, it's your, your zapper. You've dialed in the right amount of zappage for, um, you know, sold some drugs to some people. That's just, just the wrong idea to start with. And you're never going to get a system uh, of the kind of justice that uh, we are thinking about on this show if you're if your underlying idea is you do something bad, so we do something bad to you in return. Anybody? I agree. Yeah. So what you're describing there as punishment is probably what I would call at the top end retributive punishment. There are other lesser things that I would call punishment, but you probably call it something slightly different. So I imagine once we've ironed out the semantic differences, we probably actually largely agree. Yeah, I mean, if you have a, let's say you have a, an infant, uh, a newborn, Andrew has been through this probably more recent than any of us. I, full disclosure, I was a foster parent once upon a time. Uh, I had a little one. Um, I have not gotten back into the foster parenting game, uh, but my wife and I have talked about it. We might, uh, one day. Um, so I'm not I'm not completely unfamiliar with the topic of parenting, even though I don't have any kids right now. Uh, so that said, you have a newborn, the baby is going to cry a lot. I mean, it's their job. It's in and, and they take their career seriously. They take it very seriously. And the crying gets old real fast. And I don't care what your maternal instinct is. There ain't enough excedrin to make you enjoy that sound every 10 minutes at night. Um, it's, you know, that's a bad thing. But if you tried to punish a child, uh, an infant for crying, you would be a monster. You're saying you're doing a bad thing and I'm gonna do a bad thing to you to stop you, whatever you think the, the right amount is. You would never, no one would ever do that who is fit to be a parent. Now, what they might do is try to settle uh, the child's fears or pains or, or whatever the child is experiencing so that they are not crying. But it's not, I'm going to stop you for, I'm going to get you back for what you're doing. And yet two-year-olds sometimes cry and we start feeling different about it because, well, they're two. You should know better. Shut up, you little monster. We, we go from, oh, you sweet little thing. What can I do for, to shut up uh we call the twos terrible the terrible twos and you know they get they get to be five and uh they're having um you know some type of emotional crisis and then we're you know it it it, it seems like um as we progress through life 
the parent forgets that it's not about doing a bad thing to your child to make them stop doing a thing. It's about meeting the need that the child has so that they don't need to do the bad thing. And, and we forget that as children get older until before you know it, it's all just punitive. Uh, and I think that that is backward and twisted. I would love to hear from uh, one of you who has children, not you, Chase, um, <laughs> because you don't have any. No, uh, you have probably never been a foster parent. I'm just gonna just no. gonna take a guess on that. Um, Andrew, you want to you want to come back in on that? Um, is is there ever a point? You know, if if we can say retributive punishment is wrong at infancy, that it becomes right at some some point in the future. No, it never becomes right. I not only have I got experience of being a parent, I've got experience of being a child, and I was brought up in a, quite in in a missionary environment in Zambia. It's been mentioned multiple times. The boarding school I was at in Zambia had very strict punishment regime, and I spent a lot of my preteen years in fear of doing the wrong thing in case I got punished, and that was not only at boarding school but also sometimes at home. And I vowed that no child of mine would ever suffer like that the way I suffered, because it's not a pleasant experience living in fear that you might accidentally do something wrong and then get punished for it. That is not a pleasurable experience to live. And I have gone out of my way to have a child that does not have a life like that. And I'm, I'm, I believe I'm right that my daughter is a much happier teenager than I ever was. And that is absolutely the way I want it to be. Yeah, I just want to echo every bit of that. Um, the, the idea that as a parent, I would somehow uh, get even with my child for doing something that I thought she shouldn't do uh, is repugnant to me. And I hope it's repugnant to everybody listening that has children. And if it's not repugnant to you and you're considering having children, please don't. Um, there is, e even if you call it punishment, you, may, you can call it correction, not punishment, whatever, but whatever it is, when you, when you take corrective action against your child, the, the root of that idea should never be retribution. Um, it, it, uh, and, and in fact, when we do that, um, we have social mechanisms to correct the parent, right? And, and we should have those mechanisms. However, I will say that um, there are times as a parent um, when your child uh, maybe is not crying, but whining, right? And we do want to move children along through their phases of childhood. Um, uh, so that they're not crying for the moon, so that they're not doing things that are unreasonable, right? Um, and, and so we're not out to punish children, but as parents, we do have the responsibility to have them become adults at the time that we're no longer responsible for them. So it's a big job, and you're not going to get it right every time. Um, uh, but getting even with your children uh, hopefully that's not on anybody's mind. Okay, so while you're there, just stay uh, stay open for uh, a little bit. 
uh, I, I'm going to tie all this together, I promise. Um, there's a notion that you and I had, Andrew, and I suspect uh, you too, uh, Matthew, uh, as a Christian. Chase, were you, were you a Christian at one point? Yes, I was. Um, then you probably also grew up with this uh, notion, spare the rod, spoil the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's... Yeah, it it is, and I I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and and speak for everyone and say none of us none of us believes that that is a good idea. Uh, in fact, <clears throat> it was a bad idea when it was said, uh, and if if that represents God as a parent, uh, then I want to know where the cosmic child services is, uh, because <laughs> because his his parental rights should be removed. But that said, um. There's this idea out there that if you do not, in fact, beat your children in some way uh, and cause them uh, uh, some pain and punishment and retributive justice for their wrong, then they will not know the difference uh, between right and wrong. And what I suggest is if you beat your child every time they do something that is childlike, uh, they will grow up beating other people uh, and thinking that uh, retributive justice is exactly the way to go. Uh, You will simply train another monster. Now that said, I am going to full disclosure here. And I love my mother and father very much. I just want want to say that. Um, And they have, uh, I would say, repented for the way they brought us up. But I grew up being beaten. Uh, by loving parents Uh, and uh, not beaten with fists in uh, not that, but I was beaten with belts. Uh, We just call them whippings. Uh, But a whipping is not that much better than being tied to a tree and having your back exposed and being beaten with a cat of nine uh, nine tails. Um, well, it's better in that not as much damage can be done with a belt. But let me assure you that when a blind man has you by the arm and is swinging a belt at you at whatever part of the body you can hit, a lot of damage gets done. I grew up that way. I grew up that way. And that to me was normalized. And furthermore, everybody I knew grew up that way. Most of the people that I knew as a kid are probably either dead or in jail right now. And so I was one of the lucky ones. That was a common thing. And in school, you know, if you're young, this may this may be new to you, uh, Chase. I don't I don't know if you're familiar with uh, a a uh, thing called paddling. But when I was in school, paddling was a thing. And what a paddling is, is it's a piece of wood. Uh, if, if it was cleverly made, specifically designed to cut through the air with great efficiency and leave as much damage as possible to a child's behind. And uh, you issue as many strokes as you possibly can 
uh, until you become exhausted. And then you release the child and they have been properly punished. Where I grew up, parents were in favor of paddling. In fact, uh, they used to say things like, uh, not, you know, if you get a paddling in school, uh, then you're going to get a whipping when you get home. Um, and so it was, it was always double trouble. This is, this is how I was raised. Uh, Andrew, you were raised at least part, uh, in the same place and time as I was, uh, we moved around a lot, but same region. What was your experience? Uh, and you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Sorry, ask me the question again. Oh, uh, did you did you hear any of what I just said? Yes, I just okay. Then then I was just asking, uh, what was your experience? And you don't have to you don't have to say if you don't want to. Uh, with, with growing up in the place and time that we did. Um, yeah, with regard to with regard to corporal punishment. Yeah, so uh, I I won't go uh, I won't go deeply into it, but um, yes, I had the same experience you did. Um, there was this idea that whipping us with something impersonal, like a like a belt or a paddle uh, or a switch, uh, or frankly, just about anything else that came to hand. Uh, there was this motion, uh, this notion that as long as as long as a parent, or a teacher, or a neighbor, or uh, a parent of a friend, right, as long as they did it with something impersonal, the beating was somehow better. That the that the child wouldn't uh, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't make the same connection, right? The, the same emotional connection between you're the person that is supposed to be. Uh, uh, guiding me certainly, but uh, but also uh, demonstrating good example for how to live as an adult, right? And and so there was this, there was this silly idea, uh, at least in in my view, it's pretty silly. That is, as long as you're hitting a kid with uh, a belt or a switch or a paddle, it's better than hitting them with your hands. Right. Right. And the, notice the language that we use, whipping, paddling, switching. But if you just if you just substitute that for hitting with a weapon. Um, it takes on the, the grisly truth of what it is. And in, in that sense, kind of worse than hitting with a with a hand, <laughs> um, you're still you're still being hit. You're, you're just being hit with a weapon that in a weapon that leaves more than bruises, but uh, uh, raised in open whelps that last for a long time. And if you get this kind of beating two days in a row, well, then you have whelps, whelps on top of whelps. Um, anyway, I interrupted you, go ahead. Well, I, I don't have much more to say about it except this. Um, there will be plenty of people listening who will who will think that I'm wrong. Um, but when we see someone, when we see a child crying, most of us uh, object and think that child should be comforted, uh, that whatever is causing the problem should be solved. I find it incongruous as a parent 
to think that uh, that I should somehow feel differently if my child is crying and I'm the one that caused it because I hit her. It just it is just the most cognitively dissident idea that I can that I have in my head that that I would normally I would normally correct why she was crying. But somehow if I made her cry because I hit her, I should feel differently about that. And I think most of us uh, will we'll think about it and say, yeah, that seems strange that if I hit a child, um, you know, I should feel differently about their crying. We, we have this idea that that would be wrong, but we have this sort of societal, uh, this sort of societal structure that says, spare the rod and spoil the child, right? And, and those, two things in, those two things are in conflict and we should think carefully about them because one of them is wrong. <laughs> and I'm willing to lay my money on which one it is. And that is hitting your child with anything that is smaller than your thumb is still hitting your child. So let me, let me uh, before I go to Matt, I just want to turn to the chat uh, for a moment. Uh, uh, I have mentioned uh, other people in the chat. I don't think he'll mind. Dale, Dale has joined us in the chat and um, he's had a lot of interesting things to say. Um, there's a there's a comment here uh dale if you are of a mind i'd, I'd appreciate it if you drop it on the board or if you'll allow me to just copy it and paste it and uh, put it uh put it in there for people to read i think it's uh i think it's important and also dale if you um if you would like i see you've got a hand okay thumb up there for dale dale would you would you like to come in and just give your comment uh, while you're there. It would be, uh, I'd, I'd be open to that. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I was just interested um, in your take because you say you, you don't agree with punishment at all and you would rather go for actions of correction and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to throw in, you know, some philosophers of law take what's called an expressivist theory of, of punishment. Uh, so people like Alec, uh, Waylon, uh, that's not supposed to be Alex, but uh, it's Alec with the C, uh, and Joel Finberg. Um, and they lay out four conditions for punishment, three of which we've kind of already discussed. But then there's also this fourth necessary condition where you, it's meant punishment becomes punishment when you're expressing censorship or condemnation of the wrongful act. So it's not so much about, for them, it's not so much about retribution against the criminal, it's about sending this message about the act and they they quote research by psychologists and that sort of thing that say that only by doing punishment where we're actually doing action to uh take to impose something on the person and or at the very least withdraw a benefit that someone would otherwise have and it's in the context of sending a message of what you did was wrong you need to pay for that wrongful action that's the only thing that psychologically works for humans, whereas just doing correction, like saying, next time you need to do that, you shouldn't do this, next time do this, doesn't have the same psychological impact as punishment. So that's their argument as to why punishment would be necessary. And I just wanted to, like, what do you make of something like that? 
Yeah, I, I appreciate uh, you chiming in with that. So uh, I don't think that it makes it better. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's kind of saying that the only way we can know that something is um, good, as in socially beneficial, or bad, as in uh, socially harmful, is to apply some type of uh, some some type of punitive action. Otherwise, they won't get the message. And I, I think that's it's an intuitive thought. So I'll give you that. But it's an unevolved thought. It's it's the kind of thought that a caveman would have. It's not the kind of thought. Uh, that we should have as an evolved society. And this is one of these areas where I think that religion is responsible for holding us back from our full potential of social uh, and moral evolution. Because religion is stuck in the mode uh, of thinking that the only way you can tell a society that this is wrong is to send a strong punitive message. I think this is part of why God favored something like stoning, for instance. Stoning was not a private act. It's a public act. And he got, uh, you know, the whole community of, of men involved in the stoning. And, you know, if you're 12 years old and considered a man, probably uh, you get to participate in killing somebody uh, when you're 12. I, I think it's a very, it's, it's God's way of saying uh, this is wrong and everybody needs to see it's wrong. And if you do it, this is what awaits you. So I just fundamentally disagree with the notion that the only way to send a message that a thing is a, a good thing or a harmful thing is then to visit something harmful on another person. Because I, I think the only thing that you teach is when someone does something that you think is bad, you should hurt them. And uh, we have a culture that shows that that's actually the message being received. That that's, you know, our, if that's the message that you're trying to give, our culture says mission accomplished. Cool. Thank, yeah, thanks for, for answering that. Um, I'll, I'll, one thing just to follow up, I believe it's interesting because the, there's actual science, science that backs it up. Cognitive psychology, studies in cognitive psychology have been said to back it up and that sort of thing. So that's, that's why I wanted to throw that out there for you. Uh, um, I, appreciate, I do appreciate it. And, I, and I, I, I wrestle with it. I can tell you, though, Dale, I'm, I'm not a better person because I was beaten as a child. Uh, I'm a worse person. I can I can think of several ways that I'm a worse person because I was beaten at a, as as a child, uh, and so I did learn a lot about what my parents thought was wrong, but I didn't learn what was actually wrong. I just learned what they liked and didn't like. Uh, it's it's a little bit like a, a person who trains a dog but who doesn't know anything about dog training, and so you can beat a dog into behaving the way you want the dog to behave. That can work, but the dog doesn't actually learn anything except what triggers you and what doesn't. 
Uh, and, and what we're trying to do with humans is do something more useful than that. We're trying to um, help people become complete and fully emotionally, morally mature. And in, in visiting violence on them, I think even if you can say, well, that has some limited uh, eff efficacy, uh, I think that at, at the end of the day, what you're teaching them is the wrong thing. You're just training them uh, in terms of, you know, if you do this, then this will happen. And, and therefore, they will also think, well, someone else did that, so they should also get the bad thing that happens. And it, it becomes a uh, invirtuous cycle that never ends. At some point, it has to end. Uh, and we have to stop. Um, we, we have to put down the justice zapper that says, you did this bad thing, so we'll dial up this much zap. Hey, Matthew, uh, I haven't heard from you in a bit. Um, Somebody earlier on in the chat said something about Norway having a maximum prison term of 21 years. So I, while, excuse me, <clears throat> while the other chat's been going on, I've just gone and done a quick fact check on that. And that does appear to be the case, but what I have also brought up and I've not had time to read it. So if you put into your search engine of choice, the phrase, how Norway turns criminals into good neighbors, you'll find a two-year-old article on the BBC News website talking about the Norway system. It confirms 21 years as a maximum prison sentence and goes into what it is that Norway does to try to turn criminals into good neighbours. Like I said, I haven't read it, so I don't know what the content is. I don't know what uh, surveys or studies they might reference during that article. But it just seemed like something that is worth reading and certainly in the context uh, that we're on. So I just wanted to draw attention to that. Okay, I appreciate that. I uh, So <laughs> I had, uh, in preparation for the show, thought about uh, things like uh, maximum sentences, uh, and would that solve the problem? So, uh, Chase, we're we're getting into your your part of the show where I I know you wanted to start with. But we're, <laughs> we're we're getting there now as we round the uh, the final lap. Um, it is this idea of well, what if we what if we set aside the death penalty, and what if we also set aside death in prison with no. Um, uh, no possibility of parole. What if we made it 20 years? In fact, 20 years was the number that I was playing with in my mind. If we do not reform the prison system, I think we would be creating an even bigger mess uh, if we did that. And so the first thing you have to do is reform the system. Uh, and that's what we're about to talk about. But if you, if you just send someone to an inhumanity camp for 20 years, and then you release them back on, out in society, you have not helped them or society. <laughs> what you have done is you've <laughs> made a monster and then you've put him out on the street. Yeah. And the thing that I, I want people to think about uh, this in this reality of prison, I've had a, a little bit of familiarity with prison. I've never been to prison, the big house per se, but I have been in jail uh, for something that I didn't do. I was there for three days before I was let go. Um, that's a story I don't talk about too much, and I'm not going to give you the details about it now. Um, I would say that uh, race may have played a, a part of that, uh, but 
that's a story for another time, I think. Uh, but I, I used to, my father was heavily involved in prison ministries and I've, uh, I've done, uh, work, uh, with and around prisons, although prison ministry wasn't my particular, uh, focus. I've been a, a part of it loosely and around it, um, a, a lot. So one of the realities of, um, prison is something that people almost never think about, which is release from prison. So let's just just imagine for a moment, you've gone to prison, you've been there for 20 years, and you get the call and you're finally released. Yippee, I'm free. Your first reality is you have no clothes. Um, second, you have no money. Third, you have no job. Fourth, you have no transportation. Fifth, you have nowhere to lay your head. You are outside of the prison. And what some places do is they'll provide you with a bus ticket to somewhere. But even so, if, when you get off the bus, you still have none of the above things that I've mentioned. What are you most likely to do when you find yourself standing outside of the jail with nothing? Well, the only thing you can do is try to call collect because you have no money, someone from your past life that might take you in for the night. If, if it's not a parent, it's probably going to be with the criminal element that got you in jail in the first place. Also, you have gotten to know many criminals in jail, uh, and some of them have gotten out before you, <laughs> and you've learned some useful skills while you're uh, in jail. Uh, that will be useful in your new life. Like, for instance, what job are you going to get so that you can pay the rent of the apartment that you don't have and can't get? Well, uh, you probably, uh, I, I suspect they're taking applications for drug dealer. Um, there are some gangs that could probably uh, use a hitman. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of good career options for you. Um, you know, you can maybe go knock over a liquor store and get a little money uh, so that you can find somewhere to stay the night. Your options are so limited in our current system, by the way, uh, maybe different in other places, I hope it is, uh, that I don't, once again, the 20-year the option only works if you change the very idea of what prison is. I mean, I feel like the only, I mean, I feel like the only way, the only way that it's even, I guess the only way people are able to like, only way people here in America are able to, to be okay with us because they just assume that when you walk out of that prison that you, you have somebody who's going to pick you up with that car. And I think really it's just, there's never that real, there's never a conversation or realization that not, almost a lot of people don't have, have somebody, especially like in today's age when you're talking about 20 years of removal and no one ever brings up the fact that in that 20 years, it's not like you're in there learning what the world is continuing to change. Like you get maybe bits and snippets, but phones is a simple, like in a year a phone changes. So you come out one day with a click phone next, you know, you're touching a screen, like I, uh, touching a screen, like, I'm always amazed. I, I myself regularly use it. I just got a new phone the other day and it does like 10 other new things I didn't know that Android phones can do. A person in prison is was picking up a, a singular a company that doesn't even exist anymore 
a flip phone and now they're talking about the iPhone X, whatever. <coughs> and so, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't even see how there's even a realistic idea of how a person can think to be a part of society again, when the idea of taking someone out of society completely takes them out of society and like and whole part. What's it like over in uh, Britain, Matt? What, what happens when a person gets out of prison after 20 years? I absolutely do not know. This is probably something I need to find out. I've got no experience of our prison system here in the UK. The only thing I know categorically that's different to uh, your prisons is that our prison system is not run by private companies for profit, which I think is... What, do you think that's terrible? I think, <laughs> I think that has something to do with this little, the cyclical process that we've definitely developed, that's for sure. <laughs> something about the... I mean, I, I, uh, I, mean I, know people who, I know people who have been in there for just long, less than 20 years who, like, they're good, like they're, they've easily go right back because, yeah, just like what David said, they only people they know is people is people from there and the system set up to say you shouldn't be interacting with them which is i don't know how you can say that when you know that that's the only people that they know and and also we loosely define once at that point once you've committed a crime and been gone to the prison system now we really loosely define like how stringent are going to be on the people they're interacting with as far as crimes go and how far back we're looking at like a person literally can be if we want to be petty enough here in america we'll find the friend that has jaywalking that they're staying with and say oh Time to go back. You you mess up your parole. We do have a parole system here, but I, again, I just don't know what the rules are about it at all. I would hope that there's some kind of preparation period for for people before they come back out of prison. You know, that they give an advance warning and that there's uh, time spent with them. That maybe some effort is put into finding either somewhere to live or talk to somebody about a job. I would hope that these things are in place. Certainly if I was in government or had the position in government, that's the sort of thing I would want to see put in place. But I genuinely have no idea whether we have that in place here in the UK. Right. Well, your your state of being unaware about that reality is not unique. Uh, people aren't aware of the reality here, except for the fact that there are a lot of people here who knows someone who's been in prison. Uh, and they know someone who's come out of prison. That's the only way they actually know the reality uh, of it. It's a it's a hidden thing that we don't talk about. Um, and so uh, let's 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 go ahead and round the corner and build a better society, shall we? Um, so let me let me finish my thoughts on this by explaining why the death penalty is a bad idea and why I'm against it after <laughs> spinning the whole show uh, defending it. Um, so I agreed with both Matt and Chase at the beginning of the show, but I, I thought there was a lot of ground that we needed to cover before we got to where we are now. And so, so where we are now is uh, allowing ourselves to step back from the current reality and looking forward to what could be and imagining what should be a better system, a better way of doing it. So uh, for me, it starts with a removing the concept of retributive justice altogether. Um, you know, in the same way that we don't beat a newborn for crying, I, I don't think you should beat a 16-year-old for stealing. 
um, there are there are problems, there are underlying problems that cause all of those things. And that doesn't change as a person grows older. It's just that at a certain age, we stop caring about the underlying problems. Uh, and so I would, uh, I would desire a society uh, that does not stop caring uh, as, as ours tends to do. Um, secondly, I believe that we should remove the term prison because of its bad connotations and its connection to punitive uh, retributive behavior. And I don't know what word I would put in its place, but I'm gonna use uh, the word institution for now. And I believe that there are people, many people who should be, I'm gonna remove the word sentenced because when it, once again, that has those connections too, uh, who should be assigned to life in an appropriate institution. And when I say life, I'm not saying it euphemistically like the people who say life in prison without parole. I'm talking about actual life. And, and by life, I simply mean the best possible life that a person in their condition can live that would be good for them and society. It, it's the best possible life we can give a person. Now, I know that when a person has committed a crime, especially a crime that harms you or someone you love, the, the last thing you're thinking about is, how can I give this person the best possible life? But I think that we have to round the corner uh, of our moral evolution and begin to think that way. Because it's clear that the best possible life for someone uh, who is, I'll use loosely the term criminally insane, the best possible life for them is not a life where they are hacking and slashing and slaying and raping in society. That's bad for them, it's bad for society. That's not a good life. But the best possible life for them is also not a hellish torture chamber of a cage that they have to be in for the next 40 to 60 years of their death. Um, so it's always with a mind to this new institution that I am thinking of as what can we do, A, to, to rehabilitate this person, to save this person from whatever it is that's, that's wrong with them. If we recognize that we have not the technology to do that, then it's a matter of saying, okay, well, uh, if this person is going to live, what is the highest level of life they can achieve? And then we figure that out and we try to set that up. Now, I think there are reasons why we don't do that. Uh, there are two reasons, mainly. Uh, the first reason is because we're just animals. We are animals and we don't want someone who's caused us to suffer to have the best possible life. And I think, I think that's part of it. We just have that retributive mindset that says you are going to burn in hell for that. Uh, and we want to make sure that that happens. The second, the second thing is, even if you want it to create a world like uh, an institution like what I'm thinking of, it's expensive. It's expensive. You think that your 27% tax rate is high now. Oh, this kind of institution would be very expensive. Uh, 
because we are also bumping up against some of my notions what I've spoken of in other shows about the the minimal uh, human uh, the minute minimal unit of humanity uh, that we would allow and to make sure that people do not fall below that well that's going to cost a lot of money a lot of effort a lot of time and so we don't have the moral will to do it and we don't have the financial ability to do it and i don't know what the solution is for creating this institution that is geared toward making people the best version of themselves that's possible as opposed to putting them in a cage and dehumanizing them dehumanizing them is a lot cheaper and it's a lot more satisfying uh the other thing is hard and it's expensive so let me hear from uh let's start with chase um you and i have the same utopic vision but i fully admit that i have no idea how to make it happen can you do better um you know i have no no perfect path but i have some ideas i mean i mean for one it's the thought that i mean is it really more expensive it's i mean for like we're, we're saying it's just because it's going to cost to take care of a person the cost that we end up they end up now having because we don't take care of people is way higher we pay for things like we, we pay for things like uh hurt hurt criminals now committing further offenses due to the system that now neglected them or people who are soon to be criminals before reaching that point you know going all out so they can you know not reach this this terrible system that we have approaching them so in the long run the system we have is really costing us more then it would be just to help people so that, i mean i think that's more, start for starters it's a it's a mindset it's is it really costing us more to just help as opposed to what it's already costing us to neglect and then on top of that when we're talking about these corrective facilities i mean yeah like from going inside it you're, you're just being forgotten you know, there's you have it's you, the people who are also in trouble with you, and the disciplinary. That gets you nowhere. Um, you know, sometimes you can see us, you can see those depicted. You may have counseling sessions, whatever, but they're usually not productive ones. They're not looking to reach an end. They're looking to waste time until they can now let you go because you cost money for them in that regard. But they were actually never using that money in a uh, productive sense in the first place. So if you had spent more time sending in the therapist who's going to analyze the guy who had to go and rape a woman and, and figure out why he felt that way in the first place go through his past make him deal with that past so that way when he comes back into the world and create a create simulated worlds with i mean simulated societies within prisons that's not hard to do you're already wasting time having them you know in the past we had them swinging away pickaxes now we just have them do little little here and there um nothing jobs of just walking through the prison but you know create real ecosystems that that equally match the ones that they're about to be walking into um, we have all types of things that we give to our to our poor when really if we if we change that scaling that we do have in our society and start maybe um, recognizing the other people who we're, we, keep, we keep casting out of society, let's move that scale up a bit. So the things like, you know, when Obama phones were a thing, we can give those to prisoners and give the, the, the low income people in society a, a good iPhone so that we were changing that scale of what's and, and we're also keeping uh, things um, consistent with what everyone's working with. People aren't having these huge gaps and what everyone's working with to be considered an equal member or a contributing member of society or having the capabilities to even do so. Matt, what's your perfect world look like? Everybody like me. <laughs> I mean, that's the easy step. <laughs> that's the easy step. Um, I, I've started with a haircut. 
Um, <laughs> 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 you're going to have to, to uh, I don't know if I'm there quite there. Yeah, we've got to work on you for a bit longer, Chase. Um, <laughs> certainly, I echo the, the comments that, that you said, Dave. So, I mean, uh, David, so echo that. But I would also like to see societal change starting younger. I know people who are involved in education. And they're seeing behavioural traits and behavioural attitudes in in the children in their classrooms, which don't really come from experience. They can't come from experience of prison, but they must come from a bad experience somewhere. And typically that's a, a bad experience at home. And I think we have people who are parents who don't know how to parent. And I think that bad combination brings out people who, or helps rather, to bring out people who don't have a respect for law, who don't have a respect for what it means to act as part of, a, a, act as a cog in part of a whole society. And so they don't know how to behave and they come out with these expectations. They leave home with, these, with a poor education because they haven't paid it because they've been disruptive at school. And they don't have a concept of what it is like to behave properly in a civil society. So I would like to see it starting far, far earlier and actually have a concept of parental education, teaching people how to parent, teaching people how to bring people into a better society. And that probably needs to start at school, actually, in terms of teaching people how to behave and then teaching people how to teach people how to behave. And people who are having difficulty as parents, I think there needs to be a system in place so that as soon as children are on a, on a list for being problem children, then there needs to be some kind of assistance to the parents on how to teach those people to behave. Because I have heard of situations where the parents are so disinterested and so disconnected from their child's upbringing that they are expecting the school to teach the child how to behave. And that doesn't work because the children are arriving at school with disrespect for the school environment. And so the school has ceased to be able to influence the children that way. So I'd like to see it start much, much younger and I'm pretty sure that it needs to happen there. Up at the top end to stick, uh, to get back onto the whole death penalty thing, absolutely the abolition of the death penalty needs to happen, but it needs to be more fundamental than that. Here in the UK, our police force don't habitually carry guns so when people have an interaction with the police, the, they don't have to answer the question, do I need to call someone? Is today going to be the day? Yeah. Because the police officer that they're talking to isn't habitually loaded, uh, carrying a loaded gun. The police officer that they're talking to isn't on edge because they pulled them over or, or having a conversation with them and they haven't got a hand that's ready to reach for a gun because that scenario simply doesn't exist. The only police in the UK that carry guns are police at critical places like our airports and then we have our armed response units but they only come out when there's a call. They're not habitually roaming our streets. And, and I a think, SWAT team. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think we have a better society for it. And um, we, so we don't see the kinds of um, death by police force uh, that other countries might see. And I think we're better for it. 
Yes, yeah, so actually, I had a. I mean, speaking of the like on the gun thing, as far as like how officers, because we already we already give essentially that that death penalty. Yeah, we give that death penalty right here already in America just by giving an officer a gun. Um, I mean, even that idea, like, if if even if we were to bring the gun conversation system, we're allowing police officers to do. Um, you know, for me, I'm I'm more in the favor of like, I would definitely take away bullets in general and get and start putting in and putting in rubber bullets because if we're talking about like what a what a job of a police officer or even anyone whose job is pr to protect, if even if you feel like you have to kill the person that you're going against, even honest honestly, your job is also to protect them from themselves, and with a rubber bullet, well, because we're I mean because like let's just be honest, we're we're not stupid. A rubber bullet's gonna stop a person. It's not a Nerf gun. It's it's gonna it's it gonna suck you, yeah. you're definitely gonna have a hard time completing that whatever action you're trying to do being hit by one and it gives a person plenty of time to now stop them and and also now we, we got nerf guns so good that the, <laughs> the nerf bullets will stop them too yo to uh, be honest to be honest i've been hit in the face on one of those and been like oh, hold up <laughs> um so i mean like i mean we it's just this idea that we we we, we are con we constantly walk around with this hero idea this idea that that one killing is wrong um, and two, that we should be, we should always be looking to be to be being better than the person who has to kill somebody, but we give what we consider to be our best people, the essentially the the green the green has to create the oh, the the hypothetical scenario that it's okay to kill. They make they make it up every single day. Yeah. And so I think that's already wrong. There's no I don't think there's really there should be such thing as deputy giving a person a a right to kill, a license to kill, any of that. You know, if we're looking to to bring justice, you know. That 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 require that's a process, and killing is not a. It's very much not a process. It, it's yeah. very quick. Like you, you can do it a bunch of different ways, but if you want to talk about helping a person, that that's gonna take that's gonna take work. And I think even cops, like you, you got to do some more work. So um, before we completely wrap up, uh, since we don't have a Christian on the panel right now, I just want to reiterate. Uh, I plan to. Uh, interview Travis after this show is over and I might actually delay putting this up for a day or two to give Travis a chance to listen to this conversation so that he can respond to it but since we do have uh, our uh, host emeritus uh, with us who is uh, on the dark side or that is to say a, a Christian um, I, I wonder if you had some thoughts about um, what a proper rehabilitation uh, slash uh, productive institution would look like? Um, yeah, like obviously I don't have the details spelled out. I think that there's a lot of stuff that one needs to know, one needs to be an expert or informed to you know, have a good answer to this. but. Yeah, sorry to disappoint you guys, but I, I think that you guys have raised a lot of points that I think is important. There, it does need to be, I'm a consequentialist, despite how I'm coming across in the comments, I'm, I don't believe in a retributionist uh, justification for punishment. So I think that we are, by punishing people, we are trying to achieve certain beneficial consequences. Um, and I think there are four of those. So there's you know, deterrence, quarantining, uh, dangerous people from society and that sort of thing, reforming the criminal. So, Dave, you know, David J. and you guys have spoken to certain measures that might foster, you know, that goal. Uh, but in addition, I think what retributionists are going for is there's this consequence of reforming the victims. And that's 
what uh, I really think that retributionists are are really wanting to do with this. You know, it's it's by seeing justice served, it it reforms or it restores the damage done to the victim. So so these are the four beneficial consequences that we're trying to achieve, and we should adopt policies that are aimed at achieving those consequences. You know, how would that come across in terms of details? I have no idea. I, I don't work in the, you know, in that system. I, I leave it to the experts to, to kind of go over the details as to how we would work that out. Um, but yeah, I think that we have to have these goals, these four goals in mind and do the best we can to achieve those. Um, in terms of the death penalty, again, I'm going to disappoint you guys. So, so my answer was yes and no. Um, it depends. So I'm a Canadian. I don't, I, the death penalty is abolished for us. We don't have a, a death penalty at all. Um, and I think that's good. I, I don't think that I'm not advocating to bring that back and that sort of thing. Um, but I think that there can be circumstances that justify it. I, you know, it's in the Bible and I think that's, it's not, it's not good, but I think that that's morally permissible. We had to do that. Otherwise justice wouldn't be served at all. And, you know, we just have dangerous people going around killing people. We'd have serial killers going free and just doing their thing with no way to stop them or prevent that sort of thing. So in certain circumstances, you know, you have to do that. They didn't have prisons. They couldn't lock people up in a institution that could reform them for life and that sort of thing. So if we do have the means uh, to not to use the death penalty, we should do that. We should uphold the principle of life preservation. But sometimes in certain circumstances, it's necessary. We don't have the option. It's not practically available to us to avoid using the death penalty. Um, so that's what I meant by yes and no there. Okay. So as you know, from your time with me, I am itching to take you up on the theological side of that okay. and beat you senseless. But oh, I am going to, oh. I'm going to reframe. <laughs> I'm reframing. This is the reformed me. You see, I've been in jail and I've, I'm, I'm reformed now. I will no longer abuse Christians for their bad theology. Yes, I will, but not on this show. Um, look, <laughs> look for me in the comments. <laughs> I'll, I'll have some things. And thank you uh, for sharing that uh, perspective. I do appreciate that. Um, I would say that for some of my time as a Christian, uh, I would have agreed with uh, all of that. So it, it well, I am being biblical. then. so yes, yeah, it, it <laughs> makes sense from a biblical perspective. But you have to ask yourself the next question of, does the biblical perspective make sense? Um, so in terms of the whole, uh, you know, retribution for the purpose of reform, I will respond to that briefly because I, I don't need to get into theology about that. I would just say from a practical standpoint, I think I would see that point better if I saw evidence that it worked. But the evidence of my own eyes and of my own 51 years of life experience says that um, that harsh prison sentences and bad prison conditions don't make for a better society. Any more than arming everyone with guns does not, in fact, reduce 
gun violence. It seems to increase it. So where there, where there are lots of guns, there's lots of gun violence. And where there's a lot of retributive punishment, there's a lot of need for retributive punishment. And when I look uh, at other countries, um, and occasionally I run across a statistic here and there uh, when, I'm, when I'm doing my job, it seems like the countries that do not have death penalties or that do not have policemen running around uh, with guns and are ready to dole out uh, instant justice uh, have less crime. And so it would, it would just seem that the, the human experience has put uh, a different spin on that that this idea of retributive punishment and sending a message doesn't work. Uh, what seems to work is, um, is having less of that. So that may be counterintuitive, but that's, that's the evidence that we have all around us. Um, I just, uh, just for the sake of fairness, uh, I'll let you come back, uh, on that and you can have the last word on that. Um, so, so yeah, so I would just say I, I disagree that the facts on the end are that reasonable punishment, right? It, so like, I, I would agree that, yeah, maybe there's reforms. It's, uh, we're not accomplishing the goals with the system exactly as it is now. There could be improvements that need to be made. I, I would definitely agree with that, um, that we could do better. Um, but in terms of the overall principle that, um, more leniency uh, allows less crime or, or less repeat offenses or something like that. That's complete bunk. And, and I've seen that, um, you know, my brother works for the government so he can prove with actual things that that's pure horse trash. I, I know that you guys are kind of Democrats and that sort of thing, but it, it's just not true. You need to have a firm, uh, rules they're rules that are reasonable and you enforce those rules that's how you um you know achieve justice and also deter future crimes and that sort of thing because if you are just way too lenient it, it encourages repeat offense offenses and i mean we've we've seen that there's just so many examples of that going on you, you know you've seen how outraged teddy gets um with like the the treatment look look at how you guys treated the capital riots and i i agree with you that that went too far that was wrong we need to punish them they violated the law there needs to be a punishment you guys are going gung-ho there but the same needs to be applying to these autonomous known antifa and blm and stuff like that they're they're going too far they're doing exactly the same wrong thing and we need to send a message we can't be lenient on them so can I can I uh, can yeah. I pause you there for a second, Dale? Sure. Um, so I would say that in a lot of these cases, I mean, just because like uh, our country is carrying out a lot of these actions in a lot of cases that we maybe I wouldn't necessarily necessarily in full part agree with. Um, I would say a lot of this disconnect or even outrage when people are are not following rules. I would say a lot of times comes in a misunderstanding. I think that rules are put in place in respective of a goal. So yeah. if we have a goal in place, we may, we may not make rules to achieve that goal. Um, and I think a lot of times we have the same goal, but we misunderstand, um, maybe we misunderstand the the path in which we want that goal to be achieved or misunderstanding what, what we're saying that end goal is in the first place. And in that, through that misunderstanding, they're just, they are retaliating. But for us, I don't think it, I, I don't see how it would become now our responsibility to just 
I guess, silence them when all our job is to do is create understanding for them because that's what we failed to do in the first place. That's why they're doing what they're doing. So if you sat them down and talked to them, explain exactly what your side is, most times the person who's disagreeing with you to the point of outrage will keep coming down to the point of almost agreeance or agreement, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I uh, had a very similar thought to what Chase just expressed, but I promised that you would have the last word, Dale. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Chase, on the other hand, um, did not Rose follow the rules. To fly. No, I mean, <laughs> no, a... I, I I fully want Dale. I mean, I'm I'm sure Dale like, has something. I'm sure he feels Chase yeah. is prison for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll just say so. Agreeing with Chase just very quickly. The, we haven't been representing the retribution, even myself, I've misrepresented them in, in doing the case. Like the retributionist sees, they're kind of like a deontologist in morality, you know, rule-based. It, it's good in and of itself to punish. Um, it, it's not even about vengeance or something. That, that's how we've been sort of presenting them. It, it's kind of this rule-based, it's good in and of itself to punish an evildoer um, and that sort of thing. Whereas with punishment, it, I agree with you guys, I'm totally teleos-based, end goal-based. I don't think punishment in and of itself is good. And I would probably disagree with a lot of Christians on that front. So we do need to achieve that, that end goal. I agree with Chase on that front. Um, I would just say, though, by taking this, you know, we have these rules and these rules are supposedly conducive to achieving these good ends. It doesn't have to be necessarily that punishment is shutting them down. So we could also we can punish them within the letter of the law, whatever is appropriate for whatever they did, and still listen to their message. It, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, so, but we're also but now we're instilling a a, 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 a a sense of fear. They're not they're not in so much they're not ready. When we punish people, you're now teaching them that when you do something, a bad thing is going to happen. When all that's happening is when when you when you do. When a disagreement happens, uh, an, under, an understanding should come with that, not a uh, essentially. I'm mean, really not a rod. I just don't have another way to put it. Like, that's it. so we're just saying that we should give them a rod and understanding, but we also know that an understanding the rod makes understanding a lot harder. The the, the fact is, I think that you and Dale are not that far apart. The the what yeah. makes it difficult, <laughs> I, I I do agree with that. <laughs> yeah. What what makes it difficult is that we are fantasizing about a system that doesn't exist. And we're stuck with a system that does exist. Um, and the system that does exist, you know, it it doesn't do the thing that even Dale is saying in a deontol- uh, deontological kind of way. Um, I think our current system fails at every level. And so we all agree that there needs to be some kind of s- improvement to the system. And we, we might have some disagreements over exactly what improvements uh there needs to be but yes rules in and of themselves are not the goal following rules is not the goal the rule the goal is whatever we made the rule for and so there comes a time when you realize that well not every not every rule is going to work the same way for every individual and we have to make laws uh that that are kind of fair to everyone to the degree possible but some laws just aren't going to be aren't going to produce the same result in some people as it will in others. And you, there's no real good way to have that kind of flexibility uh, in a system of law. And so if you see a, a group of people that are, quote unquote, breaking the law routinely, 
you you label them as criminals as opposed to saying okay we're not accomplishing the goal of a better safer life for you with these laws why not and is there some change in law uh that we can make that can accomplish that because maybe it's a bad law or maybe it's a bad law for you or the type of people that you represent uh so i i think that when when it just becomes an inflexible the law is good uh in in a kind of a deontologist way it's this actually represents the good uh, then we get into this blinder of if you if you break the law or don't honor the law then you are bad and so i think i think that's problematic but um having said that i, I want to thank um I want to thank everyone for showing up. We're going to move into closing statements, and I'm going to give um, um, I'm going to give Andrew thirty seconds uh, to chime twenty seconds to chime in. Um, Andrew, ten seconds, go. Okay, so I guess the idea that I want to leave with the listeners is really a question: Do you think that we would have a better world? when we include more bars, more guns, and more guards? Or would we have a better world where we stopped caring about 18-year-olds and started caring about prenatal care, one-year-olds, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, et cetera, and gave them more food, more, edu more education, and better social connections? If you think that the latter is better, then all we need to do is start shifting, start shifting our, our, our punitive penal system funding toward early childhood intervention. And then if we have a world where our one, two, three, four, five-year-olds are still lost at 18, then that's the time that we should start talking about a, a punitive prison system. But let's do a better job. Let's do a better job of saving our children early because we actually know that it is cheaper to intervene in early childhood than it is to put someone in jail for the rest of their life. So this isn't actually a hard conversation. Which world do you think involves more good? More prisons, more bars, more guns, and more guards? or better education, more food, and better social connections. I don't think this is all that hard. Matthew, your closing statement, please. Um, right, well, firstly, David, I didn't say it right at the top. Thank you for um, tolerating me. I've failed to make your last invitations the last couple of weeks, and you've moved one to a Sunday for me, especially to accommodate me. So, so thank you for that. All of your listeners should know just how awesome you are for doing that. Um, right, closing statements. Here in the Taylor household, we're looking after a, a young dog. It's uh, come to us from a charity. It broke its leg and the previous owner was unable to look after it. So we're looking after this puppy, barely a puppy, about 11 months old, nearly a year old. And so we're looking after it while it recovers and then it's going to go on to another home. And we've been given the opportunity to have this dog as a, as a permanent home because we're, we're looking for a replacement dog because our 
other one had a stroke and died last Christmas. So, but this dog is not the right dog for us. And I'll, I'll tell you why. This dog is really badly behaved. It's so badly behaved that we put it in a crate when we leave the house because we can't trust this dog free in our house when we're out of the house. It will chew something, it will climb on something, it will break something. So we have to put it in a crate, both for its protection and for our own sanity. This dog is so badly behaved, it doesn't come when we call it. We can hold a treat out and unless it particularly wants some food, it just won't bother uh, coming when we call it. Walking on the lead is utterly, utterly terrible. It just has no control whatsoever. It's this way, that way, it's all over the place. And there, we, there is no way we're going to let this dog off a lead because we have absolutely no idea what will happen. We don't trust it. This dog is so badly behaved that when we're in the living room and we're just relaxed as a family, in order to get some attention, this dog will leave the room, go and find something, either a shoe or a food container off the counter or something from the washing basket, bring it back into the living room and then start chewing on it in front of us. It won't have the, it won't have the decency to go and do its naughty deeds out of sight or come and taunt us with its naughty deeds. And then on top of all of that, when we tell it off, it goes submissive. And it has a submissive we reflex. So when we tell it off and it goes all submissive, it then needs a patch of we on the floor or the carpet, wherever it is that it's done it. So the week that we've had this dog has actually been quite stressful. So in the context of the show, what could that dog do that would justify me taking it outside, putting its lead into a peg in the middle of the garden so it can't move apart from outside of the, the length of its lead and leave it there poorly fed, poorly protected for a couple of days to think about what it's done. And then when that's over, shooting it. Is there anything that that dog can do that would justify me having that response? And if you've said no, congratulations, join us on the side of humanity. Okay, uh, Chase, in just a moment, I would say I, I appreciate the kind uh, words, Matthew, but I think that Andrew would um, echo when I say that uh, you do us the honor of showing up on the show. Uh, I, would, I would do the show in the middle of the night uh, if it meant having you on the show and to hell with whoever couldn't join. <laughs> so um, it's, it's very... Um, it, it adds to the conversation uh, in, in valuable ways. Andrew is lucky to have you as a, a regular host uh, on his shows. Um, I, I would pay you to change teams, but I don't, I don't make that kind of money. <laughs> and I honestly don't understand what hold Andrew has over you. I'm thinking there's- It's ugly. Ca I promise you, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's ugly. Yeah, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to acquire that. Um, <laughs> Chase, um, your uh, your final thoughts. And that is a hard one to follow there. Uh, yeah, no, uh, as far as death, death penalty goes, uh, I mean, we anyone who's listening just needs to rethink, re if you're saying yes to death penalty, you need to rethink every conclusion on any situation which you said yes to where someone needs to die for. Because, and also think of all the possibilities of which you could have helped that person, why they did it. Um, a lot of times, 
we just say yes to the death penalty because we emotionally think it's the right thing to do. And when you take a step back, you realize we, we as evolved people have already put so many systems in place that we just do not use to make a lot of these means a lot, I mean, a lot of these ends a lot better. Um, and so I think that saying that wiping our hands and being done with the person, honestly, nearly voids us of our humanity every single time we do it. And that's simply all I have for that. Thank you. Um, I don't have anything especially profound uh, to say to close. I think it's all been said. I would, um, I would ask you to consider a few questions maybe. Um, if, if a baby, a newborn and all its innocence uh, should be uh, protected and if uh, and when they when they cry and do things that annoy you they should be helped and loved through that at what age does that person reach when that is no longer your reaction at what age uh, do you start sending them a message at what age uh, is it okay to hit them to make sure that they that they get it well maybe not too maybe you're human enough to say no not too they're still too young too innocent but somewhere between two and 16 they go from being an innocent child that should be protected and taught and, and lovingly brought into society to a thug that should be tried as an adult. How did that transition happen? How did that happen? Where, philosophically, where does that transition in your mind take place? If if meeting their needs and helping them to reach their fullest humanity, even if troubled, uh, you know, we, we have a term ADD and, and, you know, we have medicine. You can talk about whether you should medicate your kids or not, but those quote unquote bad kids when they're six or seven or eight, you know, we're trying to give them the best humanity possible with, with better healthcare, even though they have many behavioral issues already. Uh, when does that change? When did that change? When does it flip over to, we are going to try to give you the best humanity possible to, we're gonna punish you? I don't know. I don't, philosophically, practically, I don't know when that switch flips, when it should flip. I don't think it should flip. And if it never flips, and if we always look at a human being, as a person with needs and when they have a problem they're a person with needs that aren't met and that we as a society should try our best to find ways to meet those needs so that that person and every other person has the best humanity possible when that becomes our goal i think we no longer need uh discussions about the death penalty or prison and um I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate the the input of everyone involved. I uh, really appreciate you chiming in, Dale. I know that um, you have very limited time uh, for this kind of thing, and then you get 
you know, drawn into the board and then, you know, people, people abuse you. I'm thinking of myself mostly, but, <laughs> then, um, I'm but I, I have no discus account right now. So I'm, <laughs> they're easy to make. <laughs> easy to make. Well, uh, old Sarah harassing me by email right now. So <laughs> just, if you see someone on the board, uh, with a account name saying easy discuss count account, <laughs> it's probably Dale. <laughs> so, I'm just saying, uh, putting that out there, but I really appreciate, um, you know, you working through, uh, the issues that you have to join us when you can and talk about this stuff, especially when it's unplanned. And, uh, I appreciate that next week. Uh, we will, uh, be, uh, rounding the corner on this, uh, particular series. We will be talking about an issue that's even more sobering if, if, you can think of that than this one. Um, and that's suicide and euthanasia. I put them together because I think they're uh, two sides of the same coin. Uh, anyone who'd like to be on that show uh, who's not uh, already in the email chain, raise your hand on the board. Just uh, leave a comment, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com or send me an email, skepticsandseekers at uh, gmail.com. We're going to talk about that. We're going to wrap the season up with uh, Brian and I with a finale. After that, uh, I'm going to try, if you're listening, David Kimball Cook, I'm going to try to um, squeeze in a show, so we're talking about two weeks uh, after this one, roughly, uh, to get back to the historicity, historicity of uh, Luke Axe. That's a show that I've been promising to do, and uh, David Kimball Cook is uh, the person to do it with. We had a, a conversation similar to this before, and we've been waiting for the right time for a round two. I want to squeeze that in just as kind of a palate cleanser between series, because the next series after this one will be uh, the sex series. And it will not be the kind of juvenile, um, it'll be a serious uh, topic. Uh, I don't know how many weeks it'll go, a, a couple. I'm already gonna be long in this series, but uh, in this season. But we're going to talk about uh, the many faces of sexuality. Uh, I think that's very important. Uh, and if it is possible, after that series, I want to bring in uh, Dale and Val. Val, if you're listening, uh, the time will, will be coming soon where Dale and Val have a uh, three-hour discussion on... Um, on um, what was the discussion? Uh, on... Uh, free will, sorry, free will. Yeah. Uh, and after that three hours, they will both complain that they haven't even gotten past the introduction. <laughs> I'm cutting you off at three hours um, because they can really go a long time. If you think that I'm long-winded, just listen to a Dale and Val show. By the way, I should charge admission to that show because that's always a good show. Um, so I want to squeeze that in. And then our final series will be on the devil that's going to be a lot of fun and i'm not going to say um much more uh than that but I, I think it somewhat strange that we spend so much time talking about the god side of the story without talking about the demon side of the story and so we're going to explore satan in our final series of the show it'll be worth the wait i promise so until next time 
thank you for uh, joining us. Goodbye. Cheers, guys. Thank you.